Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's take a tour, shall we? A tour of the universe to learn some of the smartest science secrets that are lurking out there. My name's Dan, thank you for being there. This week, we'll take a trip to the smartest school in the solar system. We'll head to Deep Space High for a new series and learn about what the Earth is made of. All stars don't have the same destiny. Some stars will end up with very bizarre objects like black holes and neutron stars, and that would be their tombstones. That's how they would demise, as will be the ultimate state of the Earth. Also, we'll look up at the night sky with the expert astronomer Raman Pringer, who can tell us what stars we can see from our own garden. This crust, a bit more than you get on a loaf of bread. Some planets have thick crusts, others have thin ones. Where we hit the next level, things start getting interesting. And I've got your questions, as always, this week. They are both on what's happening in your brain. That's coming up. Stay there. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's start things off as we always do with taking a look at the science in the news. Scientists have found a perfectly preserved leg of a dinosaur. It was found complete with skin in the US state of North Dakota. Now, this is a big deal. It's thought that the creature was buried on the actual day the asteroid struck the Earth, which killed off the dinosaurs. Now, very little is known about the impact at the actual time, so this is a big find if it's true. Also, the first space tourists have travelled to the International Space Station. Their capsule Endeavour landed on Saturday and entrepreneurs and investors from all around the world are spending eight days on the ISS, helping with some science research. Now, they've had to pay a lot of money, as you might imagine, to get up to space, and it's thought that this will lead to more space tourists in the future. And experts have made a 53-year-old woman look like she's only 23 years old. They've de-aged and rejuvenated her skin cells. And they hope that they can do the same with other tissues in her body. Now, the end goal is to use this method to treat age-related diseases like diabetes and heart disease. Who knows? We might get to live forever. It's time to check in with Professor Hallux now. Uh, he's one of our favourite geniuses on the show. This is from his Map of Medicine series that we've been listening to for the last few weeks. It's where he and Nurse Nanobot look at what can make you sick and then who can make you better. Now, so far, we've looked at your teeth. We've looked at your gut and at your digestion. This week, rather him than me, I'd say, he's looking at your feet. Hmm and sharing the disgusting details of Verrucas. Professor Hallux's Map of Medicine. <laughs> Professor Hallux is still fiddling with that game of his. He's been playing with it all day. Not playing, nurse. Working. It's my Map of Medicine and it's full of stacks of medical places and people. But there's so many to fit in, I'm having to massively multiply the memory banks. Certainly a squeeze in there. Well, that's great, but it's not good to be stuck inside all day. You should go and get some exercise. Why don't you take Body to have a swim? Funny you should say that, but we have a little problem. Come here, Body! Show Nanobot your foot. Why is he hopping? Show her, Body! Oh, yes! He's got a Veruca! That's a Whopper! 
It's as big as a dinner plate. So let me guess, you might want a podiatrist to have a look at that. Spot on. And that's the bit I'm just finishing off on my map of medicine. So why don't you give us the verse on Verrucas whilst I finish it off? No problem. <laughs> Clinical crunch. Whoops. Feet are very hard-working parts of your body, as we all know. They need to be kept clean or... <sighs> they can smell worse than cheese. But even the cleanest feet can pick up some pesky conditions and verrucas are one of these. They're not normally as big as bodies. They're tiny lumps normally on the soles of feet and sometimes they have little black dots in them. Verrucas are caused by a viral infection that's similar to warts and are often picked up in swimming pools where everyone has bare feet and so gets passed about easily. They're the most common foot condition for children so you might even be the proud owner of one yourself. Although they're not normally serious, they are contagious, and that means you should keep your foot covered, especially at the pool. The good news is that they normally go away on their own, and they only need treating if they're causing pain. If they do need treatment, often it's just some drops of a special chemical to freeze the Veruca away. Urgh. Chilling stuff! Right, I'm all loaded up. Let's find out more about our foot expert, the podiatrists. Opening the map of medicine. Our funny old feet are fantastically important. Imagine what would happen if your feet disappeared right now. Yep, you'd fall right on your bum. Ouch! And you'd have trouble getting up again. You certainly wouldn't be kicking a football or tap dancing. Now, your feet aren't likely to actually disappear anytime soon, but maybe you have pain in them or problems walking. And that's where podiatrists can help. Did you know there are 26 bones in each of your feet? All the bones and muscles enable us to walk and do cool things like dance and balance, but they don't always work as they should. Sometimes children have problems with the shape of their feet or the way they walk. That's called your gait. No, not that sort of gait. G-A-I-T. Even if the problem is not enough to slow you down, now expert help is important because your feet grow so fast. And a small problem now could be a big one later. So what happens if you visit a podiatrist or chat to your parents and you about what you were like as a baby? How you crawled and when you started to walk? Now, we know you aren't a baby anymore, but this all helps the podiatrist understand if a problem is an old or new one. They'll also have a good look at your feet and legs and may manipulate them with their hands. That's moving your joints and seeing how bendy you are. <laughs> might tickle a bit, then they might watch you walking. No, not watch you tap dancing. You're not putting on a show. They'll just ask you to walk normally to check your gait and they may take prints of your feet. They're looking for symmetry. That's both legs and feet working equally together and for the bones and muscles to be properly in place. Now, because you're a kid and your feet are still growing, it's quite easy to fix a lot of problems with stretching exercises or with splints and insoles. Things you wear or put in your shoe. If you need a bit more help, they might suggest an operation. So you'll be flashing your fancy footwork again in no time. 
Let's have a quick disgusting detail, nurse. There's just time before we go. Disgusting detail. These days, we only treat verrucas if they're causing pain. But in the past, raw meat was thought to cure them. So, you'd get your lump of meat and rub it over the verruca. And then bury the meat in the garden. Barking mad. Sounds like a waste of steak to me. Right, I'm off to the podiatrist with body. Hope to see you again next time as we explore the map of medicine. Alex's Map of Medicine is produced by Fun Kids with support from the Wellcome Trust. your questions then if there's something sciencey that you want to know that you need answered because you can't sleep at night let me know i'll do all the work for you leave it as a review for me on apple podcasts that's what charlie has done he's in kent charlie wants to know what happens when you twitch or you flinch not on purpose why does that happen well, you move normally, like your eggs and your, your legs and your arms move, because your brain releases neurotransmitters to the nerves that talk to your muscles. So your brain's saying, right, I want to take a step forward, fires off that neurotransmitter, that lets your leg muscles know they need to work. Now, sometimes when you're stressed, or you have too much caffeine, maybe in fizzy drinks, or you're not eating too well, or you're really tired, those neurotransmitters fire on their own. Where without you telling them to. That's why you twitch or you flinch because they're working without your brain really knowing about it. Um, do you have this? My eyelid will twitch when I'm a bit tired. It kind of flutters like a butterfly. Hey, it's a good thing, actually. It lets me know that I need more sleep. Thank you for the question, Charlie. Also, this is from Ava, who is nine, who wants to know, does your brain grow when you get older? Well, it does, Ava, up to a point. You see, the brain will keep growing when you're young, but when you reach just two years old, your brain is at about 80% of the size it'll be when you're fully grown up. Now, when you're born as well, your brain will have almost as many neurons that you ever need. They're always there. Now, how your brain grows when you're alive is in a different way. It's by making you smarter. It's by making new pathways connecting the neurons in your mind, which helps you learn new things and new skills. And you tend to create those pathways, those links between neurons by having new experiences and doing different things. That's why it's always worth seeing what's out there, Ava. Thank you for the question. Uh, if you would like something answered on the Science Weekly next week, leave it as a review for us. Apple Podcasts, leave your name. There's a little comment box at the bottom and give us five stars so I can see it. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Our guest this week wants to help you stare into space and see something amazing. Raman Prinja is a physics and astronomy professor and joins us now. Got a brand new book out called Wonders of the Night Sky. Raman, thank you for being there. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very glad to be here, Dan. Thank you. How much do you remember about the very first time you ever looked at the stars? Um, so now you're taking me back of many, many years. <laughs> um, I, th I think what I can remember when I was a child, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 10 years or so, was stunned essentially by seeing a very dark, starry night sky for the first time. Having been growing up in London, that's not something you see very often. But when you when I traveled away once, um, I think I read that really hit me hard. I, I, I really was amazed at the amount, at the sky that was glittering with stars. And I think I do remember that distinctly. Uh, and it was a, a big hook for me, <laughs> a fantastic hook for me. 
Now, what's amazing is that there are so many stars out there, but maybe we don't know where to start, where to look, what we're looking at. So what advice would you you give us for the very first time we're ever trying to spot some stars that we might know in the sky? I think the the key thing here that it would be to pick on one or two really well-known constellations that have bright stars in them. Orion, the constellation Orion is a very good example. It's for for those who are in the northern hemisphere. You can easily recognize Orion and it's packed full of such amazing objects and stories and myths behind it and you can come back to it again and again. And so I think picking Two or three really bright constellations is a beautiful way of starting to identify stars, but also like we try and describe in this book, to try and learn about them, to, to try and learn what's going on. I mean, why do you have slightly different colors in, in the stars of Orion? So you can really get deeper and deeper. And I think that's the best way into, to try and chart the sky a little bit. It's interesting you said stories that these stars can tell us about. I mean, surely a star is just a big, uh, well, a big ball of gas and plasma kind of mixing together. How can they tell a story? That's because not all stars are the same. And that's the remarkable science that's out there on in the night sky waiting for you to uncover for free. This, the fact that you have such an incredible variety of stars in the night sky, different colors, different brightnesses, is because these stars are not all the same. They are at different life paths in their in their in their sort of destiny, if you like. Some stars are very young and recently born. Other stars are sort of uh, sort of middle aged, and others are aging and heading towards a demise, an explosive end, perhaps. And so you have this whole life story of stars up there in the sky to uncover, uh, and that's 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 the great great detective work that you can do. Now, take us through the book then. It's called Wonders of the Night Sky. It says slap bang on the front cover. Astronomy starts with just looking up. Raman, how does your book help us do that? What I try with this book is to take you through some of the amazing objects that you can explore in the night sky. Some of these constellations, that the, the, the objects that are there behind them, but also then to tell you some of the details, some of the science, to understand why. Why do we have stars that have some different colors? What is this Milky Way band that people talk about? You might get very lucky and see sometime. Why does this moon have craters and how did the moon even get there? So the book takes us great sort of wonders of the night sky and tries to also explain and does explain some of the sort of knowledge that we have about them to try and get you to understand a little bit more about what you're looking at so you can then go and read more and talk more about them. So going through the exploring the sky in terms of the stars and constellations, looking at what planets we can look at and how we can tell the planets. How do you explore the moon? It's a beautiful object, the moon, actually. It's a really under... Sometimes I think we just take it for too much for granted. It's just a beautiful object to explore, um, to, to see where the astronauts landed, uh, and to look at things, you know, the aurora, to look at eclipses, just take you to the whole great variety of objects out in the night sky. And that's what we do. But what I'm also trying to do, as I said, is trying to give some understanding of what it is you're looking at. What is that thing that you're looking at? Now, you, as a stargazer, as someone who studies the different things in our night sky, what's the 
What's the, 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 the rarest thing to find, I guess, in the stargazing group? I mean, if stars, if, if objects in the sky were Pokemon cards, what would be the rarest one that you could find, for instance, that when everyone else hears that you've seen it, they are so jealous? Well, um, if you're really fortunate, you could, and you'd have to be very fortunate, but if you're really fortunate, and people have been, you could spot a supernova. Uh, that uh, takes a little bit of equipment to do that. We don't, we are very, un, we have had astronomers in the past or, or observers in the past who've got very lucky and they've been able to see um, supernovae, is exploding stars in our own galaxy. It's very rare. So that would be absolute surprise <laughs> to see something like that happening. And it doesn't happen very often. Uh, that, that would be a truly remarkable object to see. Now, these, it's interesting because these stars, I mean, they've been around for millions and millions and millions of years what are we still learning about the night sky? Why do we still look up into space? What is it telling us still? When we look up in the night sky, what we're seeing there is a snapshot of stars, as I said, who are at different times in their life. So there is still a lot to uncover in terms of what they end up as. All stars don't have the same destiny. Some stars will end up with very bizarre objects like black holes and neutron stars, and that would be their tombstones. That's how they would demise. That will be the ultimate state at the end. So why do stars follow different paths is something that we are really trying to uncover. And also, many of these stars seem have planets around them. So each, many, most of these stars have their own planetary systems around them as well. So there's a huge amount to learn there because the the stars, just like they do in the solar system, the sun really determines a lot of what's happening in to the, on the planets in our solar system. In the same way, these stars are going to influence what's happening on the planets around them. And that's another great wonder out there because you do have to stand out there and imagine, well, what could be around those planets, right? I mean, there are water worlds out there. Could there be life out there? So there, all of these things are also going to depend on what the host planet, host star is doing. Um, so ultimately, it's this big detective game of trying to figure out where these star, what these stars are and how they're connected up in their life paths. Amazing. Well, listen, if you enjoy looking at the night sky, you want to learn more about the stars, this is the book for you. It's called Wonders of the Night Sky. It's by Professor Raman Pringer. Thank you so much for being there. Thank you very much. And pleasure to talk to you. Fantastic. Thank you. This week's Dangerous Dan, it's all about one of the most fearsome beasts from down under. You'll find the Tasmanian Devil on the island of Tasmania. Who'd have thought? Just off Australia. There are marsupial, like koalas or kangaroos. Now, they're quite small. They grow to just under a metre, but they're stocky. They're thick creatures with jet black fur. They have strong jaws and sharp teeth. They're a scavenger, so they normally eat food that they find that's already dead. Now, they've got devil in their name because they can be extremely mean. They're possessive, they're territorial, and if something gets between them and their family or their food, they've got an awful temper, does the Tasmanian devil. They'll fly into a rage, they'll snarl, they'll bite, they'll punch, they'll charge. They can be incredibly dangerous for something so small. That's how they got their infamous name, and it's why the Tasmanian devil is going straight onto our dangerous stand list. It's time to travel into space right now with a series that we'll listen to for the next few weeks called Deep Space High. In every episode, you can hear from Professor Pulsar, who teaches at the smartest school in the solar system. Now, he's looking down on Earth this week and letting us know how it's made, why it looks like it does and why it does what it does. This time out, it's all about structure and he's teaching us what our planet is made of. 
Deep Space High, Earthwatch, with support from the Royal Astronomical Society. Some sheep. These are the Yorkshire Moors. God's own country, Sam. No finer place in the universe, in my opinion. If you say so. If you want to learn about planets, the best place to start is with the one you're standing on. We can check out what planets are made of by looking right under our feet. Any ideas? Um. Grass, muds, and sheep poo. I was thinking a little bit further under than that. 60 kilometres thick, this crust. Bit more than you get on a loaf of bread. Some planets have thick crusts, others have thin ones. Where we hit the next level, things start getting interesting. This is the mantle, nearly 3,000 kilometres thick. A big, gloopy mass of molten rock. Where it pushes against the crust, you can get moving layers called tectonic plates. And where you have moving tectonic plates, up on the surface you can get... Volcanoes! That's right! Now, I don't suggest you get too near to an erupting one, but if you watch a video of a volcano erupting, that fiery molten rock has come from the mantle. It's the insides of the planet. That's so cool! So all this stuff down here is... Lava. Same stuff, although we call it magma when it's under the crust. Hold on, we're getting near the core. Made of iron and nickel, it's a bubble in 5,000 degrees Celsius. So even on a wintry day, deep under our feet, it's hot enough to melt rocks. Exactly. We think all planets have a core. Again, some will be big, others much smaller. But probably all are made of similar stuff, we think. made out of the same stuff. They could be made of, I don't know, jam or cats. I agree, that's theoretically possible. But look at it this way. Thousands of meteorites have landed on Earth and none of them have had jam or cats in them. They're mostly made of the exact same compounds inside the Earth. Hey, you can see real meteorites in museums. Sometimes you can even hold them. These days you can even buy them for a few pounds. Great idea for a birthday present. Hey, Pulsar, how do you organise a party in space? You plan it! Get it? This expedition's going to seem longer than the orbit of Jupiter if you keep telling jokes like that. Deep Space High, Earthwatch, with support from the Royal Astronomical Society. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash deepspacehigh. And that is it for another brand new, fantastic Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you for listening. If there's something science-y that you would like answered on the show, leave it as a review for us. Apple Podcasts, give us your name, give us five stars, there's a comment box right there. I'll see it and I'll do all the digging for you. While you're there, you can hear loads of brilliant podcasts that we make. You've heard some today. We've got tons more. They're on Google, they're on Spotify, wherever you get your shows. And you can hear Fun Kids, we're our children's radio station from the UK, on your DAB Digital Radio, on that free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. 